0: Blue Wire. Touchdown pass, by 4 in the 5-0-4. Jackson checks it himself, look at him, dark back and forth, oh, he broke his ankles, he is Houdini. Watson stays on his feet, throws on the run, touchdown, Watson, a magician. Mahomes winds it up, wide. Welcome to another episode of the My Sports Update Football Podcast. I am your host, Ari Merov. The NFL Draft is coming up in just over a week. And on this week's episode, we have another special guest. Jordan Reed, not the tight end, but Jordan Reed of the Draft Network, joins the podcast. In my book, Jordan is up there as one of the top draft analysts, so it was good to get him on. And we talked about a lot of different things regarding this draft, including the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, the offensive tackles, the corners, the Miami Dolphins who have three first-round picks, the Giants at number four, and much, much more as the draft inches closer and closer to the first And hopefully the last virtual draft. Before we go to Jordan, a quick word from our sponsor, BetOnline.ag. With currently no NBA, no NHL, no MLB, you might think there is nothing to bet on. Well, you are wrong. Our exclusive partner, BetOnline.ag, still has hundreds of games and events and props to bet on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they are bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. BetOnline has. Live Daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. It is all open 24 hours a day and it is all done online. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE, BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. So now, here is my 30-minute discussion with the Senior NFL Draft Analyst of the Draft Network, Jordan Reed. Again, he really knows his stuff. Year in and year out, he delivers and he also has a draft guide, which is now available, which you can get. We talked about that as well. So here it is, my discussion with Jordan Reed. Alrighty, joining me now here on the my Sports Update football podcast, he's a senior NFL draft analyst for the Draft Network. He is the host of the Locked On College football podcast, one of the best follows on Twitter for the draft. His detailed draft guide is now out and available. It is Jordan Reed. Jordan, how are you?
1: I'm great. All right. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure being here.
0: I appreciate you coming on here today, Jordan. Hope you and your family are all doing well and staying safe. Let's get right into it. And the draft is right around the corner. This thing is happening despite everything that is going on in the world. Let's talk about the quarterbacks here. We both expect Joe Burrow to go number one to the Bengals. It is the other three quarterbacks, which is very intriguing to me. Let's start with Tua. He had a virtual pro day, which was sent to all 32 teams. He appears to be healthy but that is still a question mark how do you see it unfolding for Tua
1: yeah he's a really interesting case just because you don't really know exactly what's going on with him yes we have the video to go by but outside of that we don't really know exactly what's going on with the hip situation and then the biggest stain on his resume right now of course is just durability that's the biggest thing that that's the biggest question mark that everybody has about Tua and there actually was a doctor from the Tennessee Titans that did his operation as far as this recheck, I should say, and it went out to all 32 teams. But of course, you want to get him on your own a private visit, and teams weren't able to do that just because uh, the the COVID nineteen situation was going on and the happenings with that. So they have to go based off what the Tennessee Titans doctor found, and then the video that Chris Morton posted a couple of days ago. So, uh, but what as far as what you're getting with Tua, I think you're getting a supreme leader, a guy that's very accurate, has very good footwork as well. Um, I think he has a lot of positive that translate very well to the NFL and I think he can be a really good player, but it's just it's just the durability that you worry about. That's the first word that comes to mind every time when mentioning tour.
0: Yeah, and the two teams that we've mainly heard about when it comes to Tua has been the Dolphins at 5 and the Chargers at 6. I know I've seen some people say the Redskins at 2. I don't see that happening. There are people who think he might require a partial redshirt as his hip returns to full health. If this was any other year, we would know much, much more. Teams would know much, much more, and we would have more clarity. But as you said, the talent is there. He is super talented, but um, the durability will be an issue. I don't think it will end up hurting him i do expect to hear his name early on when the draft rolls around next thursday now there is oregon quarterback justin herbert he was really impressive at the senior bowl his decision making has been called out by some how do you see his situation unfolding
1: so how you felt about justin prior to the year or coming into last season is probably the same that you feel exiting the year just because he didn't really do anything to help his stock and he didn't do anything to hurt his stock either and that's the thing about justin is that He's kind of just been killed the whole time, entire time he's been in Oregon. And he's gotten a little bit better the past few years, but he just hasn't made that tremendous leap like everybody was hoping that he would make, especially going back for his senior year after a lot of people were surprised he actually went back the following his, his junior season. So um with Justin, the guy that has a supremely strong arm. That's the first thing that stands out about this film. They're very accurate in spots, but the decision-making can be spotty. I thought he was a bit of a misfit in that Oregon's offense, and I mean that because – Their offense is really predicated on a bunch of side-to-side movements, but he has the arm strength in order to push the ball down the field, and he just wasn't able to be deployed that way. So I think that's why there's so much excitement about him from some teams just because they feel like once they get him out of that offense and more of a vertical offense, he'll be able to show that progress and make that leap that a lot of people thought he would make during his senior year.
0: Right, and Herbert is someone who, just like Tua, has been linked to the Dolphins and the Chargers. I've also seen the Patriots, I've seen the Raiders, but he is someone who we expect to hear early on in the draft next Thursday. Now, the last quarterback I want to talk about here, and this is the most intriguing one for me, it is Jordan Love. I feel like everyone is all over the map with him. What are your thoughts on Love as a prospect, and how do you see his situation unfolding?
1: Yeah, so he's probably the most polarizing prospect of any quarterback prospect in this group, I would say, just because he's really been a tale of two tales. And I mean that just because 2018, he really was a breakout candidate for a lot of people. And there was so much excitement build up about him heading into last season. But he just didn't live up to it. He went from 32 touchdowns and six interceptions to 20 touchdowns and 17 interceptions. But he lost a lot as far as his surroundings. He lost his head coach, Matt Wells, and ended up going to Texas Tech He took another job there from Utah State. Um, and he lost his top two targets and Dax Raymond and also Darwin Thompson, who's a running back and a tight end, and then they lost a couple offensive linemen. So he fell into a case or a situation of where he had to play what I like to call hero ball. Hero ball is just he was trying to do too much, and decision-making suffered as a result. It really was a miracle that Utah State made a bowl game last year. I was really surprised that they were even able to do that, but He was just fighting an uphill battle with that talent around him, but the decision-making was so bad and spotty in situations. He just left you scratching your head, but the highs are extremely intriguing, and that's what you notice about him. I think he's going to have to be an understudy his first year in the league just because I don't think he's ready to start right away. But if he's able to sit for a year or two uh, behind an entrenched uh, starter, I think he'll be just fine.
0: Yeah, and you know the thing that I keep on hearing about Love is that he's a very raw prospect, but his ceiling is just so high. Like he has the potential to be so great in the NFL, and he is the one quarterback in this class who can make teams come back in a few years and say, "How do we miss that guy?" So I don't really know where he ends up going in this draft. I expect it to be somewhere in the first round, in the middle, in the middle to back end of the first round. I don't know which team that will be. I know we've we've read about the Saints and the. Packers and the Patriots but again as they say all it takes is one team to come up and draft him just like we saw Patrick Mahomes a couple of years ago the Chiefs jumping all the way from 27 to 10 all it takes is one team to come up and draft the quarterback that they want. So now that we've talked about those quarterbacks, Jordan, I want to talk about two specific teams, and I want to start with the Dolphins, and I expect them to take one of these quarterbacks with their picks. They have three first-round picks. What would be the best-case scenario for the Dolphins with those picks at 5, 18, and 26?
1: Well, I think it's a situation where they just have to continue to add onto premium positions, and I think they've done a really good job of that in free agency. And what I mean by premium positions, the premium positions I see are quarterback, cornerback, um, offensive tackle, and also edge rusher. And I think they've done a really good job of adding edge rusher and cornerback help through free agency. So now they need to find a quarterback of the future and also some offensive tackles to help block for this quarterback of the future. Now, I think two of Tagovailoa could be a best-case scenario for them. I think this is one of the worst-kept secrets as far as draft pairings between a team and a prospect. I think both I think both want to have some type of marriage together. But we'll see if that's just rumors or, you know, if it actually comes to fruition. I hear ten days out from the draft. There's also some Justin Herbert steam for Miami. Um, I wouldn't doubt that all, at all. Just because I think there's probably I think the room is kind of split on either one of those guys. Just because, like we talked about earlier, the durability factor with Tua. I think that's something that is a huge stain on his resume, and it's and rightfully so. Just because whenever you invest a top five pick on a quarterback, you want to make sure that everything is full go as far as you want. Every box check from injuries to what they bring to the table as a player. So. I think two are Justin Herbert, probably his best case scenario for them at five. I'm um, at 18. I would like to see them get a tackle. I think they're probably going to be out of range for one of the top four guys, and Andrew Thomas, Makai um, Beck, and Tristan Wirfs, or Jedrick Wills. I think they're going to be out of range for one of those guys. So we'll see. We'll see if the situation if one of those guys do fall and they end up trading for one of those guys, trading up for him. But if they do elect to stay at 18, I think Josh Jones from Houston would be a really good pick, even though some people might think that's a little bit early for him. I think it would be our home run pick for them, just because. He's a guy that has been a long-term starter in that Houston offense. And I think he's ready to play right away, which is something they need on that offensive line. And even though they have signed some offensive line help, they still don't have that off- or that left tackle of the future that they can have. And I think Josh Jones can bring that to the forefront. Now, this last pick in the first round, I think this is where it gets really interesting just because I don't think there's going to be many, many running backs that they want to take that early just because they need help at running back, even though they signed Jordan Howard. I just, I'm just not a big believer in taking a running back that early, especially with how disposable the position is. I just don't think they have to invest the first round pick. And it goes back to those premium positions that I talked about earlier. I think Yeter Grossmontos from Penn State would be a really good for them. A Clavon Chase sign from LSU would be another guy that I think would be a really good pick as well. But I think he'll probably be gone by then.
0: And the Dolphins, they have those three first round picks. They also have two second round picks this year. They have two first round picks next year. They have two second round picks next year. They're loaded with draft capital and they really can move up. They can move down and we all got to see them also spend a lot of money in free agency by signing Byron Jones and signing Kyle Van and signing Jordan Howard and Shaq Lawson and Eric Flowers. I mean, they made a lot of moves this offseason and there is more to come here in this draft. Now, another other team that is very intriguing to me is the Giants at number four. I think it's no secret that Dave Gettleman is on the hot seat. If you're in his shoes right now, and let's just say Joe Burrow goes one, Chase Young goes two, Jeff Okuda goes three, what are you doing at number four?
1: I think you have to take one of these offensive tackles. Just because you invest the sixth overall pick on Daniel Jones a year ago, you have to figure out a way to protect him. and We know this offensive line wasn't great last year, even though Gettleman has invested a ton in it they still haven't seen the results that they were hoping from this group. And I still think they need to continue to build up that wall in front of Daniel Jones. So if it were me, I would take one of the big four guys. Now who it would be, I would take Judrick Wills. just because he's my top ranked offensive tackle. Now who the giants are going to take based on what I'm hearing. Nobody really knows just because this pick is really coming down to do you take an offensive tackle or do you feel good about the second tier guys in this offensive tackle class? And do you take an Isaiah Simmons at four overall? And then come back and get your right tackle at thirty six overall. So it's just a it just matters how they have their board stacked. Nobody really knows what's going on right now. But if I had to make a decision right now, what would I do? I would take Jedrick Wills with the fourth overall pick.
0: Yeah, and the offensive line has been a mess in New York. If I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave Gettleman has never drafted an offensive lineman in the first round. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so the highest drafted offensive lineman that he has selected is Will Hernandez with the 34th overall pick a couple years ago.
0: Right, so what I thought. So Dave Gettleman has never drafted an offensive lineman in the first round. When the Giants get on the clock at number four, he will likely have four big-time offensive tackles available for him for his choosing to protect Daniel Jones. We'll see if history changes there. We'll talk more about the offensive line in a second, but... One position that the Giants do not need, at least not in the first round, is the wide receiver position. And this wide receiver class is stacked with talent. I mean, we keep on hearing about Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and C.D. Lamb. Who are the other receivers in this draft that you're eyeing that has star potential?
1: Yeah, and I'm really glad that you mentioned this receiver class. just because, like you said, it's absolutely stacked, man. I think it's probably going to rival what we saw in 2014. When we saw Mike Evans, Oda Beckham Jr., Devontae Adams, Jarvis Landry. the list goes on and on of the guys that were located in that receiving class. And I think this class might be, be even better. It might, it might not have the star power that some of those guys that were in that class, but I think as far as the depth and what it could turn out to be, it wouldn't surprise me if this class ends, ends up surpassing that class. And Of course, you know about the top three with Henry Ruggs third. Jared Judy, and Ceedee Lamb. But there's also some hidden gems, I would say, in the second and the third round. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. is one that I absolutely love in his class. I think he's going to go a lot higher than what a lot of people are predicting right now. Mm-hmm. LaVisca Chenault from Colorado is a guy that's getting a lot of love. And then Jalen Rager from TCU is another one who a lot of people are excited to see outside of that TCU offense just because he didn't have a great quarterback play, so his production suffered as a result.
0: Absolutely, and you mentioned 2014. I mean, just look at last year. We saw guys like A.J. Brown go at 51 and D.K. Metcalf at 64. Terry McLaurin, I think, was at 76. Darius Slain went all the way in the fifth round. And this year's class is much deeper, so we really could see some hidden gems in those late rounds, as you said. Another position which is really deep is the offensive tackle position, and you touched base on it earlier when we were talking about the Dolphins. How are you ranking the top four guys, and how does offensive tackle shake up after those four that you mentioned?
1: So I have it Wills, Wirfs, Thomas, and Beckton right now. That's my top four. I mean, whoever you talk to, they'll probably have a different four arrangement, every single person that you talk to. So it's really interesting. I don't think this is unlike anything we've ever seen before as far as the strength and the depth at the top of this offensive tackle class, and it's really good just because we've been waiting for a strong offensive line class to come along. Now, the interior group isn't great, but the offensive tackle group I think is phenomenal through the first two days. And just getting to that second tier, I touched on Josh Jones earlier, the big offensive tackle from Houston, who I think is firmly at the top of that second tier. And then you're getting this guy like Austin Jackson from USC who's going to be a 20-year-old rookie. There's a lot of excitement out there about him. Now, he's a bit raw, and he's not as ready. As some of these other guys but if you allow him to really have a trial and error period if you throw him out there as a starter I think once he gets through the through those bumps and bruises of his first two years or so I think you'll have a high level starter another guy that I'm excited about is Prince Tego Winogo from Auburn we really haven't been able to see him through this pre-draft process just because he's been nursing a knee injury so we didn't get to see him at the senior bowl and he was also held out at the combine as well so there's a lot of excitement about him. There were some people saying that he probably would have ran in the 4-9 range, which would be phenomenal for an offensive lineman. So uh, Winogo is definitely another one. And then another guy who's been hurt is Lucas Niang from TCU. And the thing about Niang is that you have to go back and grade him over this 2018 film you know, just because he was battling a really nasty hip injury where he tore his labor and his hip. And he was only able to play four games. But go back and watch him against Ohio State in 2018. when He was going against Chase Young and Nick Bosa. And did phenomenal against those two. So it wouldn't surprise me if he hears his name called in the second or third round.
0: Right. So we've talked about how deep the wide receiver position is. We've talked about how deep the offensive tackle position is in this year's class. You mentioned that the interior offensive line is not as deep. Which other position is not so deep this year compared to others?
1: I think linebacker is one that isn't necessarily deep. Now, there is some intrigue at the top. Of course, we've talked about Isaiah Simmons, who really is a do-it-all player. Um, After that, you're getting into Patrick Queen from LSU, who is a phenomenal player. And then Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma. I think those guys are firmly your top three. But after that, it gets a little bit sketchy just because you don't really know the order that teams are going to have these guys in. You know, some of the players that you get into with the linebacker position, and the list goes on and on, some of these guys, um, Malik Harrison. From Ohio State, there's one guy that probably could hear his name in the second and the third round. Uh, Willie Gay Jr., the guy that lit up the combine from mm-hmm. Mississippi State. There's a lot of excitement about him. Jordan Brooks is another name from Texas Tech who we haven't been able to see a whole bunch just because he's been nursing a shoulder injury as well. And then the last one I'll mention is Akeem davis Gaither from Appalachia State, another guy that we didn't get to see at the combine just because he had to have the foot surgery. So there's a lot of question marks in this linebacker class after Simmons, Murray, and Quinn.
0: You know, you mentioned Isaiah Simmons, and I want to talk about him a little bit more. I think he's one of the most fascinating prospects in this entire draft. I mean, he literally does it all. Can you break down Simmons a little bit and where he can play in the NFL?
1: Yeah, so he's what I like to call an all-of-the-above player. And all-of-the-above is that whatever you assign to him, he can do all of it, just because he doesn't have one particular position. You have to be able to deploy him all over the field. He's made everything except interior defensive line. And that's what you notice about the film. Whenever you, t- whenever you turn on the film with him, you have to pause the screen just because you don't know where he's going to be aligned. And that's really the skill set that he brings to the table. He's a, he's a master of none, but he does it all. And what I love about Isaiah is that you could use him to open up other avenues for everybody else just because he has so much on his plate, he takes a bunch of stuff off the plate of others, if that does make sense. So um, I think the biggest thing surrounding Isaiah's draft stock, though, is that he has to be coupled with a creative defensive coordinator just because if he's not he's going to fall into the category of players that we've seen in years past and I'll give you a throwback name here Taylor Mays uh, Mm -hmm. from USC when he was coming out Obi Fanwu when he was coming out of UConn and then Mark Barron he was coming out of Alabama if you remember all those guys were labeled as these versatile chess pieces but they were never coupled with these creative defensive minds so now they're bouncing around the league trying to find these creative minds that can use them all over the field so that could happen to Isaiah Simmons if he's not paired with the creative defensive coordinator, but I think the edge that he has over those guys is in coverage. I think he's much more dependable and much more reliable in coverage, but you can't pick him at just one position. You have to use him all over the field.
0: So with that being said, which teams would make sense for Simmons from the top of the draft so he doesn't fall into that trap?
1: This is something I really struggle with just because there's not really many teams at the top of the draft that have a very creative defensive coordinator that's proven. Right now, I like the Giants. I like the fit for him there. Um, I think Carolina could be a good fit for him just because I think Bill Snow does a good job of what he's shown in years past at Baylor and other stops as well as being creative. So I really like the Panthers fit for him, probably the most out of the most realistic spots for him.
0: Yeah, so the Panthers, they pick at number 8, the Giants at number 4. I want to stick here with the defense, and the cornerback position is also very fascinating to me. The top two guys are Jeffrey Okuda and C.J. Henderson. Now, I read on Peter King's column um, that a GM said 40% of teams have C.J. Henderson higher on their boards than Okuda. I don't agree with that. I found that to be fascinating. How do you see it?
1: So I have Akuda comfortably ahead of Henderson, but I could see why some teams have Henderson ahead of Akuda. just because I think the fluidity as far as in coverage and, you know, I don't want to say upside just because I think Okuda had clearly has the better upside of the two, but as far as coverage, being sticky in coverage, I think Henderson does have a better case than Akuda. And that's not to say that Akuda isn't a good player at all. I think he's phenomenal. He's by far the best cornerback that I've, I've I've been in this process for about four years now. He's by far the best cornerback that I've seen since Marshawn Lattimore. So that just goes to show you how much praise I have for him. I think he's a phenomenal player. But just talking to some guys and some scouting buddies in the industry at the combine, the big stigma about C.J. Henderson is that he doesn't want to tackle. And that's something that's going on on social media as well, and it really clouds the true assessment about him. But I think something that really stuck into my head a bunch, and this one of my scouting buddies told me, he said, when you mentioned James Bradbury, guys that, that are about to get paid, or this was before free agency happened. So he said, when you mentioned these cornerbacks that are about to get paid, and you mentioned Byron Jones, you mentioned James Bradbury as well, and he said, how many times has the tackling come up? And he said, absolutely zero. Let me know how well they cover. That's really all I care about. So I thought that was really interesting when he told me that. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll apply that to my grade with C.J. Henderson. And I'm a big fan of him. I love what he brings to the table. Very twitchy, very active, very sticky in coverage as well.
0: So, Akuda over Henderson for you. What about a few names that just aren't getting enough attention? You know, the prospects that people don't know about, but names that they should get used to.
1: So, I tipped back in November uh, when I got a tip on this guy. Uh, check out his film. A lot of people really weren't on him, but I think he's gotten more notoriety over the past few months. His name is Noah Ibnagini from Auburn. Um, I think he'll probably end up going in the second round, go and watch him against Oregon, Alabama, and LSU. I thought those were definitely his best three games of the year uh, by far. And I think he, he's not ready right now. I think he's going to need a couple of years uh, to be seasoned and learn the position. He's actually a converted receiver. He played receiver his freshman year before making the switch over his sophomore and junior year uh, to play cornerback. So he's still relatively new to the position. But the baseline traits that he has entering the league are just phenomenal. Both parents were track athletes. And then he ran 4-4-0 at the combine as well. So that speed is really carried over into him. I'm a big fan of him. I love what he brings to the table. Amik Robertson, uh, the nickel corner from La Tech, I like what he brings to the table a lot. The guy that has 16 interceptions and 48 pass deflections in his career in three years. So that just goes to show you that ball production is phenomenal. He's a smaller guy, only 5'8", 180 pounds, but we know nickel corner is basically a starting position in the NFL today. So Amik Robertson definitely is a name to keep an eye on in the third or fourth round. And another guy, he's a, he's a notable guy, but I just want to speak on him, is A.J. Terrell. From Clemson, he has a lot of fans in the league, but the lasting impression we have of him is in the national championship game where Jamar Chase just absolutely obliterated him, but prior to that point, I thought he was outstanding this year, and I think that lasting impression is really clouding his image in a lot of people's minds, but prior to that point, he'd look like a first-round corner. No one surprised me if he hears his name on day one of the draft.
0: You know, you mentioned all these guys who are not getting enough attention. And I feel like this year, especially considering the virus and everything, it is going to be so much different when it comes to something else. And fans really don't care about this. But once the draft is over and all these guys who did not get to hear their names, they become undrafted free agents. And that is really when the madness really starts for front offices, for general managers and executives and scouts. That is when they get together and try to figure out who they want to sign. Could you just explain why it's so different this year for teams and for the players?
1: This is because of the, what's going on the pandemic and the misinformation. They're not going to take chances on guys that they don't have information for. And it's just like, why would I try to guess something on the test if I never got the study guide or anything like that? It's just something that I'm not going to answer or take a chance on. And that's exactly what some of the people were breaking down to me in the industry is that the people that are going to be most affected by the pandemic and the misinformation are small school guys guys that have medical red flags, and then guys that have red flags in general as far as suspensions and, you know, why they were kicked off the team and things of that nature. So I think those are the three groups of people that are going to be affected the most. But as far as in free agents, a guy broke this down to me, I thought it was absolutely incredible. I wrote an article about this, I uh, think, last week, and he was saying that whenever you're starting at franchise mode on the video game, whatever sports game you play – and you turn on the fantasy draft at the beginning to redraft the entire league, he said that's what undrafted free agency is going to be like this year. He said it's going to be a circus. But there's going to be some really, really notable names at the top. That's why he said that, just because there's plenty of guys out there that have been suspended for multiple times or just have these injury red flags, but teams were never able to check their medical reports and get them into their facility just because of what's going on in the country right now with the pandemic. So undrafted free agency is going to be absolutely crazy.
0: So you're actually expecting players who are notable players to possibly not get drafted because of how this pandemic has affected the entire draft process.
1: Absolutely. Just because you don't have that information and you were never able to get that face-to-face contact except at the combine. But we know at the combine, these meetings are only 15 minutes and it's like speed dating. So you really never got to break down the situation.
0: Wow, so so that will be something very interesting to watch to see how it all unfolds because, again, I feel like the general fan really doesn't care about these, you know, the rounds 6 and 7 and the undrafted guys. But if you're a diehard guy who watches all 7 rounds, you might see some guys who you've heard of and you were expecting to hear in those later rounds not get drafted, and that is where things could get really interesting. And The other thing that I wanted to say is that all these teams are also working remotely, which makes signing these guys a little bit more complicated than usual. Obviously, if it was a regular year and things were normal, they would all gather up together and figure out who they want to sign. Now, I want to play a game over here. I'll give you a name, a prospect who is going to go in the first round most likely. You give me someone from the NFL he reminds you of. So we're going to start with a guy we haven't talked about, Auburn defensive tackle Derek Brown.
1: Ooh. Put me on the spot with the comparisons. Um, <laughs> I hate saying names just because people get like misconstrued of what exactly I'm thinking. Um, I would say, I think Fletcher Cox is a fair comparison for him. Now he's not as twitchy of a pass rusher as Fletcher Cox, but what I mean by Fletcher is that just the presence that he can be and the nuisance that he can be for offenses in the middle of the defense. So I think that's a fair comparison. for him
0: What about the other defensive tackle, Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina?
1: So a bit of a throwback name. I'm not sure if you know this name, but do you remember the name Marcus Stroud from the Jacksonville Jaguars?
0: Marcus Stroud from the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's not coming to me right now. <laughs> it's not coming to me. Jacksonville Jaguars, it's, it's,
1: it, it's a bit of a throwback name, a guy that came from the SEC. He played in Georgia. Very similarly built to Ken Law, 6'6", 320 pounds, very twitchy. And you just notice the attacking nature that he always has. So he reminds me a little bit of Marcus Stroud coming out. I think that's a very fair comparison. So I just gave you a little bit of homework right there. Go check out Marcus Stroud when you get a chance.
0: Marcus Stroud, I'm looking it up right now. 2001 first round pick. Played with the Jaguars from 2001-2007. Okay, I'm going to do my homework after this. (laughs) Good player. Very good player. I mean, the name is coming back to me a little bit as we keep on I keep on looking at my screen over here for all the details. But, yeah, I'm going to circle back on this after we're done. Let's talk about a running back here. We haven't talked about any running backs. What about Ohio State running back J.K. Dobbins?
1: Uh, I don't really have a comparison for J.K. just because I think he's a combination of a lot of guys. I think he's very twitchy as a runner. Um, I think he can run inside and out. Very, very good catcher of the football. needs to work on his pass protection. A little bit, I think that's something where he could improve. But he made a significant jump uh, during his last year at Ohio State. I thought he showed much better than his junior year, as opposed to the sophomore year. Some people were thinking that he dropped off a little bit. So it was really cool to see him have that big bus tick last year.
0: Yeah, and I consider JK to be a three down back. I'm not really sure if he gets in the first round. Maybe he sneaks in, but he is someone who I think is ready for the pros. I also want to squeeze in the three big name wide receivers we talked about earlier. Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, and C. D. Lamb. What about them?
1: So Ruggs reminds me of a more seasoned Deshaun Jackson. What I mean by Deshaun or more seasoned Deshaun Jackson is that I think he's a much better route runner than what just Deshaun was coming into the league. I think Henry Ruggs can run at all three levels of the field. And he's not just a guy that just gets down the field right now and stretches the defense. So I think Deshaun Jackson, a more seasoned Deshaun Jackson is a good comparison for him. Jerry Judy reminds, I think he's a mirror image of what Chad Ocho Cinco was for the Cincinnati Bengals as far as they're, they're built similarly. I think they win in similar ways. And I think as far as the quick twitch and the route running from day one and being able to be a natural separator, I think Jerry Judy can do that from day one, and C.D. Lamb, I think he's a, I think he's a carbon copy of DeAndre Hopkins, and that's not to say that he's going to turn into D. Hop or anything like that. But I think, as far as the way they're able to twist and turn their body in the air, and there's no catch that is out of their radius, and that's something that you notice about C.D. And then I think the biggest impre- or the biggest improvement that C.D. made uh, from 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 2018 to 2019 is just what he does after the catch. That's something that we didn't see during the sophomore year, but as a junior. He was a supreme threat to take the ball a distance after the catch. And go back and watch the Texas game from a year ago, I think that's one game where he was just absolutely phenomenal. And he was incredible taking over that number one receiver spot after Marquise Hollywood Brown went to the-
0: I just can't wait to see where all these wide receivers end up. I mean, putting these guys into categories like Ocho Cinco, Deshaun Jackson, DeAndre Hopkins, just makes me even more excited to see how it all pans out. And as we talked about earlier, We just mentioned three names. This draft is loaded with so much talent at the wide receiver position. It is going to be really, really um, interesting to see where these guys go, who's going to be throwing the ball to them whenever we get football back. Now, I want to ask you another question here and a pretty straightforward question. Which team in the NFL would you consider to be the up-and-coming team, a team that you like the direction they're going in?
1: So this might catch you by surprise a little bit, but it's the Miami Dolphins. I really like what they have done this offseason. I'm a big believer in what Brian Flores is trying to install down there. I love the mentality and just the persona that he feeds off. A very tough, hard-nosed team. I think they're just missing some pieces in key spots, but I love what they did in free agency. Like you mentioned earlier, adding Byron Jones and then pairing him with Xavier Howard. It's going to be really hard to throw the football on that team, bringing in familiar faces. And Calvin, even though Eric Flowers wasn't a popular selection, I think it just brings some stability, even though I thought he played well for the Redskins last year. And I think him sliding inside the guard had a lot to do with that, but they just need some stability. And I think they're, they're still, I think they're still a year or two away from really competing like they want to. But I think once they get the quarterback of the future in there and they just keep building things through the trenches like they have done already, I really like where this team could be a year or two from now.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you with the Dolphins. I mean, you mentioned free agency. We mentioned all the picks they have this year, and we know all the picks they have next year. I mean, it might not happen in 2020, but 2021, I feel like look out for the Miami Dolphins. They could be onto something. Lastly, Jordan, and again, I really appreciate you coming on here today. Obviously, this is your busy time of the year. Your draft guide is out. I mentioned it in the introduction. How can people get the draft guide? How can people get their hands on this? Obviously, it's very detailed. Um, You really go into it and discuss all these prospects. How can people get their hands on this?
1: Yeah, so there's a page at the top of my, or I should say there's a link at the top of my page, excuse me, on my Twitter page. You can follow me on Twitter, at jreadnfl, that's at jreadnfl. NFL. And my draft guide is breaks down over 200 prospects in this draft class, some notable names, some off-the-radar guys, some small school guys as well. And then with this draft guide, and the best thing about it is that it is $10, but what comes with it is that all of it is donated to charity. And it goes to an organization called the Raleigh Rise Against Hunger Foundation, which is located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Something, I've actually done this for three years now. This is my third year doing it. So your $10 goes to a great cause, but also you're being able to expand your knowledge on the NFL draft as well. So it really works for both parties that are involved. But once again, you can follow me on Twitter at NFL. The link is posted at the top, J R E I D NFL. It is $10, and it would be greatly appreciated.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to tweet about it as well. So you can find it on my Twitter timeline at MySportsUpdate. You can find it on your Twitter timeline at JREADNFL. And as you said, all the money is going to charity. It is going to a great cause. And at the same time, you get to learn about this year's draft class, about the prospects. You put a lot of work into it, and it is a very detailed draft guide. It is a great source for all of you to get to know about this year's class before the big three-day event of the NFL. NFL Draft. Jordan, I really appreciate you coming on here today. Keep up the great work. Good luck with everything. Stay safe, and we'll chat again soon.
1: Thank you, Ari. It's a pleasure being here. Thanks for having me.
0: Special thanks to Jordan Reed for joining me on this week's episode. Again make sure you're following him on Twitter it is at jreidnfl NFL. He is always putting out great content and great information and also make sure to check out his draft guide which has over 200 prospects and at the same time you are helping out a great cause. That does it for this week's My Sports Update football podcast Thank you all for listening and thank you all for downloading. If you haven't done so yet please rate review and subscribe to the podcast all of that is greatly appreciated the draft is coming up make sure that you're not only following the my sports update twitter page but you also have notifications on for the account so you don't miss anything notable from around the nfl I am your host, Ari Marov. I will be back with another episode next week with another special guest. Until then, just like I said last week, please stay safe, stay indoors, and hopefully we get through this pandemic sooner rather than later. I'll talk to you all next week.